0: Hello and welcome to Catholic Current, where we discuss our faith and events affecting the Church in the United States. From Washington, D.C., I'm Mara Moser. The situation along the U.S.-Mexico border has become a contentious issue. Earlier this week, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, who is the chair of the USCCB's Committee for Religious Liberty, expressed his solidarity with faith-driven ministries serving migrants. His remarks followed on the heels of a statement by the Texas Catholic Conference in support of people of faith serving on the border. Today, we're talking with Bill Canny from Migration and Refugee Services and David Cronin from Catholic Relief Services about these ministries and the migrants they serve. Welcome, Bill and David.
1: Thank you, Mara, for having us. Thanks for having me.
0: David, I'd like to ask you about root causes. Why are so many Mm -hmm. people trying to come to the United States right now and how can we help?
2: Yeah, I think just to start, when your home is the mouth of a shark, you will do anything to get out. This is really, for many people, migration an act of desperation. Um, migration is not a decision that people make overnight. It's usually a series of decisions that culminate in a final decision to leave their home. Um, and there are many factors that go into people making that decision. Um, at CRS, you know, we see the, the push factors, the reasons why people leave. I think for Bill and our colleagues at the USCCB that deal a lot with migrants in the country, they can see the pull factors of why people come. Um, but we also at Cirrus like to look at a third area. It's what we call rootedness. The reasons why people stay. Uh, but first let's suggest a question on, on kind of the root causes, the push factors. In the Western hemisphere specifically, you know, we see political instability, economic instability, lack of economic opportunity, violence, food insecurity, climate change. There are a number of factors across the hemisphere, whether you're in Haiti, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Ecuador, that are driving people to leave their home. But again, this is an act of desperation for many people. Um, Their home has become the mouth of a shark. And the people that we work with at Catholic Relief Services, we provide hope, opportunity, life-saving humanitarian aid, as the you know, Catholic community in the United States institution that delivers assistance overseas. Um, we do that with the intent of providing people opportunity to stay where they are, um, that rootedness that we talk about.
0: Yeah, No, some folks have called that the right not to migrate, yeah. which is kind of the flip side of the right to migrate. How mm-hmm. do we help folks stay and thrive yeah. where they wish to be? It's know? a
2: great question. Um, CRS has actually done a couple studies over the last few years in Guatemala, which is a country that sees some of the largest numbers of out-migration. And in those studies, um, we see that 70, 80% of people have little to no intention to migrate. They want to stay home. There is a strong desire to stay with their family. They've pride in their community. And if there's opportunity, they will choose to stay. So what can we do? We can look at the factors that really promote that rootedness again. It's things like education. It's things like opportunity, economic opportunity for young people. It's working with farmers who are particularly challenged by erratic rainfall, uh, reoccurring droughts, by climate change, generally speaking, shocks that occur. Um, But it's also providing humanitarian assistance when those shocks occur. So these are some things that Catholic Relief Services does, mm-hmm. and we've seen incredible success in the programs that we provide. Um, many times in partnership with the U.S. government, uh, in partnership with private foundations, uh, in partnership with Catholics around the country that donate to CRS to do this good work. I think one story I'll just yeah. like to share is about a farmer named Ronnie in Honduras. I think about Ronnie a lot because he's 35, I'm 34, he has two kids. I have one kid, another kid on the way, same age, similar conditions of life, focus on that family. Um, His priority is his family. And for many years, because of the drought in Honduras, he thought about migrating because he wanted to do best by his children. Everyone would want to do that. Um, There was droughts that were destroying the crops of Honduran farmers, little to no opportunity. Um, He wants to migrate, but he got connected with CRS And through a program that we work on, we call Water Smart Agriculture, we were able to give him the farming techniques, the practices to manage water, to manage soil, um, and to be able to have good yields in his crops. Now, in this project, you give $1 of investment, the farmers get $2.46 in return. In years where there's drought, farmers that use these practices produce 41% more maize than not using these practices. For Ronnie, for his family, for his two kids, that's the difference between putting food on the table and going hungry and deciding to sell your assets and to migrate to the United States. That's the difference we're talking about, the impact you can have on good uh, interventions like that.
0: Yeah, as you say, David, a lot of people don't make this decision lightly. I wonder, Bill, if you could talk a little bit about You know, we talk about refugees and asylum seekers. Sometimes those terms are used interchangeably, but they are distinct terms. Would you um, talk a little bit about what those mean? Yeah,
1: they're very distinct. Uh, Refugees uh, have been deemed refugees by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Uh, The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR, has listened to their story in countries around the world, oftentimes as a result of war, civil conflict, Um, These people have left their country. They've physically left their country and they're interviewed by the United Nations and deemed refugees unable to return back to their country at that time. So they're often sitting in refugee camps around the world or in uh, refugee resettlements in suburban areas and they're stuck in so many ways. They can't return home. They're oftentimes not well integrated into the receiving country, and then uh, they're often looking, and the United Nations is looking for another country to take them. So as often as possible, they'll return home, but uh, there are also at least over a million who are looking for homes in other countries. So when we talk about refugee resettlement in the United States, We're drawing down from that pool of refugees who are interviewed and vetted in those countries and then who are sent to the United States and resettled by uh, United States Catholic Conference of Bishops and Catholic Charities and nine other agencies in a very uh, codified and developed uh, program funded generally by the federal government, but also with inputs from states and localities and certainly communities. That's a refugee as we sort of view it here in the United States and according to international law. An asylum seeker, and this is the majority, the vast majority of people coming to our southern border, if you will, that's someone who is seeking asylum and uh, who who are out of their country in this case, coming to the border of another country, in this case ours, or sometimes along the path from countries and asking for asylum uh, due to the fact that they fear persecution, they fear violence, uh, uh, they fear uh, social discrimination. So they're coming to a, a, a frontier of border and asking to be admitted and for, to make their case as asylum seekers. And this is what we see uh, at our southern border at this time.
0: Mm. Bill, I'd like to ask you about another group of immigrants <clears throat> Um, that may be familiar to some of our viewers, which is religious workers. And that's an important part of our ministry here in the United States. Would you talk a little bit about the role of religious workers?
1: Sure. Well, as, as many of your uh, listeners to this will know, we have uh, many uh, uh, foreign-born priests and sisters now in the United States, uh, more than we've probably ever had in growing. Um, and they come in on religious worker visas. Those are usually five-year visas and uh, they come in with the intent sometimes to stay but sometimes an agreement between a, a diocese and another diocese to come over uh, and both assist that diocese but also to grow in their own capacities. Uh, there's a specific visa for that. Um, it's a bit of a, a problem in the last few years because the number of those visas has not grown and it's it's even been restricted by some other uh, complicating factors. And so it's a current problem for us. Uh, We at the uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops have been very engaged with our government and with other faith-based organizations, a plethora to try and uh, loosen up the restrictions on these visas and to increase the number of visas. I'm happy to say that we've made some progress and we hope that, uh, whereas currently when someone completes their five-year visa, they have to go back and and reapply and take, uh, you know, sometimes up to a year to do that. We're hoping to decrease the time that someone will have to uh, leave and come back uh, and reapply and be accepted back uh, because it's tremendously disconcerting for local churches to have their leadership and priests and and nuns leave and then have to come back, uh, you know, uh, quite a while later. So we're working on that intently. And in fact, we're doing a survey of all the dioceses to get a, a clear handle on the number of religious visa folks that we have in our country.
0: Ah, oh, great. Yeah, they do a great job serving, ministering to the people here in the United States. Correct. And we hope that we're able to yes. keep as many as possible through yes. the means that you've described. Yes. Um, let's talk about immigration reform. I'm gonna to turn to you, David, to start. What do we wanna see with comprehensive immigration reform? Mm-hmm.
2: The kind of area of kind of our expertise at Catholic Relief Services, right back to that root causes piece, is that we need to see real investments from the US government, from governments across our region in the Western Hemisphere, investing again in that hope, that opportunity, that life-saving assistance so that people don't feel like they have to migrate. Um, This is something I think that gets missed a lot in the conversation is that, you know, the news and the media, we focus a lot on the border, rightfully so, Uh, it is part of the United States, we should be focused on it. But we need to look beyond the border. Um, Again, to ask the question, Why are people coming? What can we do in collaboration with these governments, with civil society in these countries, with the church in these countries, to make sure that we are promoting the common good, standing in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. The conversation about the the R1 visas, which I don't work on, but reminds me of just how universal our church is. You know, we work with the local church in every country where CRS operates on behalf of the US church. A couple months back, we had partners, Catholic church partners from across South America, across Central America, from Haiti, here in Washington. And we were doing some joint advocacy with the U.S. government, showing them the solidarity of the U.S. church and how we respond to migration, how we respond to poverty, how we respond to, to natural disasters, and we do it together. And so I think when I think about the, the, the macro level immigration reform issues, um, it needs to look beyond the border. We need to think about the human beings that are impacted by these decisions. The people like Ronnie, and people like Joaquin, another farmer that I that I've heard a lot about from colleagues uh, in Guatemala, who similarly wanted to migrate to Mexico, um, but was able to get access to markets and now provide his his uh, his crops to schools, to school feeding programs. So we also he now has a economic livelihood, but he's also supporting local nutrition and local education in his town. That's really good development. That's opportunity that's coming through the Catholic Church in partnership with the U.S. government to support people so that they don't have to migrate.
0: Wonderful. It's really a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Bill? What would you like to see?
1: So we talk about reform because it's been you know, I think since 1996, since we did any the last extensive work with our immigration system. Comprehensive immigration reform means different things to different people. The word comprehensive was adopted, I think, in 2001 to mean we need to work on both the border and entry points, and then also how immigrants fare in this country. Um, some of the important elements, first of all, we need to do a better job managing and maintaining the border. People understand that. Um, Part of the uh, problem with the border is not in the border, it's what happens to people when they come into the country or allowed in to make their asylum case, and what happens next. Currently, it can take up to five years for someone's asylum case to be heard. This is too long. And in fact, some of the the recent bill that was introduced would have attempted to, you know, put more immigration judges closer to the border and have people's cases heard more quickly and earlier uh, and faster uh, than the current system, which again is years. It, it's kind of unfair to let people come into the country and not have their case adjudicated or heard uh, in front of a judge for many years. So that's part of comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, Certainly maintaining, managing the border, but the system itself is what is often referred to as broken and needs fixing. Further, you know, we have populations in the country who are on temporary status. Uh, These are people who have uh, been allowed in due to oftentimes natural disasters that happen in their country, but also of political situations and who effectively can't go back and have been here for many years. We need to um, uh, regularize their status. There's a whole group of people, including the Dreamers. So those folks, uh, you know, we need to regularize people, uh, including uh, undocumented people in our country. That's part of reform. So we can reset, if you will, the migration system in a number of different ways. Finally. Uh, We need to look at more legal pathways for people to come in and work, both uh, permanently and short term. Our agriculture industry is dependent on foreign workers, uh, particularly still Mexicans. And these people need to be treated fairly and need to have uh, legal programs that allow them to come and go home and come back in a legal way that precludes them from you know, coming across the border uh, uh, illegally, if you will, and living on farms, working in our country, but in an undocumented manner. So in general, um, there are a number of different areas that need to be fixed, if you will, in order to be called comprehensive reform.
0: Yeah, and Bill, you, you, oh, go ahead. I was just saying. Bill,
2: Bill reminded me of uh, just thinking about all of the the political systems, the legal systems, the economic systems that are at play in this. And it reminded me of in in Fratelli Tutti, Pope Francis talked about how we need states and civil institutions that are taking primary concern. Their primary concern is the human and the common good before almost these political and economic and ideological systems that are at play. And I think, you know, all these changes are so important, but just making sure that we're reminded of the human beings that are impacted by this um, every day. Another story that comes to mind is, is a, a young woman from the western highlands of Guatemala who's part of our, our programming and she said that I don't want to migrate anymore because I want to help people here and if I leave I won't be able to help. And that's just the, the, this Catholic ethos is that we want to help. How can we help? And it is both in the provision of services, humanitarian assistance, development aid. But it also is in terms of advocating for, I think, some of these changes and the issues that Bill just brought up.
1: Yeah, let's be clear, Mara. There, there have been uh, studies recently, particularly uh, with refugees recently, that, that show very clearly that their economic contributions far outweigh the costs uh, that the public or communities have. Uh, when receiving these uh, these uh, refugees. So that's very clear, recent Health and Human Services study. There have been other indicators that our economy is helped by immigrants. Again, recently, uh, there are some articles coming out that the sort of surge in our economy can be related to the surge in migra- of migration into the country. These folks come the first question they ask is, where and when can I find a job? How can I work? Uh, our system precludes them from working for uh, a period until they've applied for asylum, and that process takes you know, uh, legal assistance often, of which we're short. But people come and people want to work. We've had waves of migration into this country, if you think about it. The Italians in the 1920s, the Irish. Uh, A couple of different waves, Uh, a number of other ethnic groups who came from countries that were uh, like some of the Central American countries in trouble, people who wanted to stay but couldn't. We wouldn't be America without those waves of people that came. And the current wave of immigrants who want to come for good reason, can't stay home, as David says, which the majority would want to do, nobody wants to leave their home. We have to facilitate a just and humane way to welcome them, and they will contribute. We know that from our own experience.
0: You know, Bill, you mentioned that it could take five years for the case of an asylum seeker to be heard and for their status to be kind of regularized here in the United States. One group that we haven't really discussed, though, is the family-based immigration system of the United States, whereby somebody may be approved for a visa and wait a decade or more to be allowed into this country. Um, Would you talk a little bit about that when you talk about, um, you know, regularizing the status of the 11 million undocumented? Sure.
1: Well, we have, uh, you know, sort of numbers and quotas, and uh, oftentimes uh, one family member will get into the country and they'll apply uh, for visas for even their immediate family uh, member to come. But with, you know, vis-a-vis those quotas and numbers, it can take also many years for people to join their families. This is something that our church advocates for continuously, is that families need and deserve to live together. uh, And uh, any opportunity we can to reunite families is something that that we will advocate for and do.
2: Just to pick up this point on on the family, um, going back to those two studies I mentioned in Guatemala. In the second study, specifically looking at youth, and again, bringing a point I brought up earlier, but they said, what keeps you in your community? Your family. Family is such a common theme when you think about life and dignity. And whether we're promoting you know, human life and dignity overseas through our programming or ensuring that it can thrive through these legal pathways, that is at the center of our work. And that is what we must focus on. Um, so it's just an interesting parallel in terms of both the, the feelings that people have in communities who work overseas, and also the the, the, the need to, to make sure we're promoting those equal pathways here. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And our laws, when we say families reunification, generally only include the immediate family. This is not situations where people are bringing over their cousins and aunts and uncles. This is very prescribed to be very the immediate family.
0: Right. And in Catholic social teaching, the family is the central building block of society. So we need to honor that in our laws and the way that we treat immigrants. Thank you, Bill, thank you, David. It's a pleasure having you here today. And thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Current. You can find out more about this week's topic by visiting us online at usccb.org or follow us on social media at USCCB. I'm Mara Moser, see you next week.